0: have a poorly named movement that says they want to defund the police. It seems a new country has been founded in downtown Seattle, and we're tearing down symbols and monuments. We will talk about that and a whole lot more on this week's Courage React Show. Thing, in sequence, Will do the following. I have thoughts on Clemson University changing the name of their Honors College to remove the name of John C. Calhoun. That will lead us into some broader talk on removal of symbols, monuments, and our history. How and how we should think through that. That will then lead us to, well, not really lead us to. We will just straight up change subjects and talk about this defund the police movement, what it actually is arguing for, and then we will talk about Chaz. No, that's not one of my many nephews or a family member. CHAZ is a new country inside Washington. It's called Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, C-H-A-Z, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. Don't really know who's in charge yet of CHAZ, but they've apparently seceded from the union, and they're just there in Washington. So we will talk about that near the end, and if we have time, I have a COVID-related and mask-wearing-related thought I want to share with you. We'll get started on all of that in just a moment. First, my name's Corey Truax. Thank you for listening to ninety one point nine, ninety two point nine, in the Upstate of South Carolina. On his radio talk, I'm grateful for that. And where you listen to the podcast, thank you. Thank you for sharing it. As as we start to see, and by we, I mean us, me and you, the listener, we're one big team. Starting to see those numbers tick up uh, ever so slightly as time goes by, and it's just a good time. It's a good time to see the the family of thinkers grow because that's what we do here. We think deeply because we want to be dedicated to smarter, deeper, and better talk about everything on The Cory Act Show. I am also the pastor for teaching at Beechwood Church in Greenville. We meet at 1030 on Sunday mornings, and I am continuing my Gospel of Mark series all June long, or at least the Sundays therein. All right, here we go. Clemson University has an honors college named in honor of John C. Calhoun, a significant South Carolinian in our history. He is known for some good things. I believe he was vice president for, I can't remember who, but he was vice president for a period of time, a longtime senator. He was uh, he was—he was important for, the, for, for opposing the Mexican-American War. I believe he was involved uh, in that second shot we took at having a national bank, I because there was a, the Hamilton version, there was the, the later version. Anyway, I'm saying he's significant. He did important things in history. I think it w- I would even argue there might, not, there might not be a Clemson University if not for John C. Calhoun in terms of some of the infrastructure that he was part of, part of in, the, in this state. Uh, there's even a, a highway right here in Easley. The, the highway that connects Clemson and Greenville is named for him, John C. Calhoun Memorial Highway. Now, so he's known for all of that. He is also known for this. He was a leading voice for the institution of slavery its importance, its morality, our need for it in the South. So not as a necessary evil, as some argue during the time, and certainly not an abolitionist, as some were of the time, and and not quiet about it, as some were of the time. He was aggressively pro-slavery, not any of those other things. Not quiet about it, not necessary evil, or I don't know how to do without it, but it's an objective moral good. That is John C. Calhoun, and of course... That position is repugnant and morally reprehensible, and unless he repented of that, I, I, I don't. I don't think I will be seeing him in the new heaven and the new earth. I will say that of John C. Calhoun. There was a movement that popped up here, led by former Clemson football players, to have the honors college have his name removed, and that is. Uh, it, and by the way, it worked. So give it, To give you the facts of the case, Clemson is renaming or at least taking the name off of the Honors College of John C. Calhoun. So they're going to take that away. I started thinking about this, and I was asked by a few people, including Cody Fields of the Westminster Toxology Podcast. You should listen to their show. It's really good. I, I, I do the thing that I, I wish I did more of, and the Lord has been good to help me do more and more of this lately, that I immediately recognized... I don't, know, I, I don't know why anyone would care what I think. I wonder what the Bible says. Like, I wonder if there's some scripture on this. What can I learn biblically and then bring to you about the idea of taking the name off of a, a program or a building that both was significant? He's an historically significant figure, but also had a morally reprehensible view. And I will be honest, I struggled. To the extent that I'm even asking you, if you think there's some Bible on this to point us in some direction, I'm in. And there's a doctrine called the Adiaphria, the issues of Adiaphria, meaning uh, issues of liberty, where the Bible is just unclear uh, of what is and is not the the right thing to do. And there's got to be some liberty that we give to each other in the, the places where we land on those issues of Adiaphria. So this might be one of those, because I can see an argument for several things. I could see an argument for keeping the name, keeping the namesake and the honor, but putting up something somewhere, putting up a a placard, putting up some kind of construction that tells the full story. That says, "We here's John C. Calhoun. Here is this historic American figure. How important he was to the state of South Carolina, to Pickens County, where Clemson University sits, and." You also need to know, here's some horrible things. Uh, We we want to to tell the full story of him, not honor all of him. And you could do it that way. That might be one way to use your history to teach a lesson. Maybe it does need to be addressed with straight up taking the name off. However, that does then lead to a question. It leads to a question about limiting principle. So we agree then. Yes, the way to handle this is John C. Calhoun, because of his very pro-slavery position, should not be honored in any way, and therefore we're, gonna, we're going to take his name off of everything. That's how we handle this. It then makes me curious about the limiting principle. So where does that line draw? And I am, I'm working through this almost live on the air. I, I don't know. For example, what about Washington and Jefferson the author of the Declaration of Independence, Jefferson, the father of the country, we call him George Washington, who set every important precedent for the executive branch to try to limit its power, to walk away after two terms when no one was going to make him do it, when he was being urged to to start basically another type of monarchy, but it would be monarchy through the people's choice. Like these, these men, slave owners, there in Monticello, and for Jefferson, and and Mount Vernon for Washington. Do we do we strip Mount Vernon? Is it do we tear that down? The the most prominent monument in Washington D.C. by law, nothing can be built taller than it. It's view it's viewable from almost all of D.C. Does it? Does it, does it need to come down? One of the most dramatic monuments in D.C. is the Jefferson Memorial. It's incredible in there. Some of the most stirring words he that he wrote. And his words, I would argue, is one of the reasons we are such a special nation. We are founded on ideas, and what are ideas made of? Words, arguments, notions. And Jefferson was one of our founders in that his words stirred hearts and minds and then brought structure to the thoughts of first the Reformation and then the Enlightenment and the birth of a nation. Now, but they weren't super pro-slavery. Jefferson, the slave owner, wrote in notes on Virginia that Christians like to quote him on, this, on the time, but forget the topic. He said he trembles for his nation, trembles for his nation when he recognizes that God is just and that his, his judgment will not rest forever, like judgment is coming, and he was talking about slavery. But we, we were, well, uh, before I get into those arguments then, so what is the limiting principle? Well, what level of how how modern must someone think on issues of race before we before we wreck them before we destroy them and take want their names taken off i i don't know the limiting principle and I'd love to have it so that then led me to thinking on some broader things this clemson story leads into the reality that we have to have a discussion on our history and what we're going to do with it, what its purpose is, how we're, and, and functionally what we're going to do with statues and monuments and things like that. But then functionally we actually start seeing in the news someone tore down a Christopher Columbus statue. I have audio, I'm not going to play for you, of a woman on CNN saying that we do want to get rid of George Washington University, James Madison University. They shouldn't have names like that. That goes right on top of the long-standing arguments we've had in the country about Confederate generals and Confederate figures who have statues, mostly all over the South, but there are other places in the country, that go straight to the Confederate flag. So what do you do with all these? And so I want to work through that together. So as I started thinking through that, the limiting principle, and what do we do with our history, here's that thought I had again. I wonder if there's any Bible on this. I wonder, because who cares what I think? Why? I don't know. I barely care what I think. Where we find truth and authority, is there anything we can get there? Uh, And again, I I struggle. I I am very much interested if any of you think the Bible says something really clear about this topic. Because there are concepts that maybe can apply. For example, uh, really quickly, uh, important point of hermeneutics, how we interpret scripture. There's a lot of the Bible that is descriptive, not prescriptive. I've covered this a lot on the show. A lot of the Bible is just telling you stuff that happened. Even if you even if you consider the person who did it to be the quote good guy in the story, it still doesn't mean you should. I mean, we got Abraham using a using a slave to his or at least a an, uh, call her what you want, call Hagar what you want. Hagar works for his wife, and he they're they're afraid they're not gonna actually going to have the kid that God promised them, and so he uses Hagar to have a son, Ishmael. All right, so, quote, Abraham is the good guy, I guess, and so can we do that? Well, no. Even if, quote, the good guy in the story does it doesn't mean you can. And by the way, they're, the good guy in every story uh, is either figuratively or literally Jesus in the Bible. They're, he's, the main, he's the main part of the entire book. In any event, my point there being, just, just because of what I'm about to say, it, it may not be prescriptive. It's just telling you something that happened. So, for example... When the Israelites are in the wilderness, they set up a few monuments. They're, they're called ebenezers. often. You set up an Ebenezer, a monument to something that happened. They cross the Red Sea or the Jordan River. I can't remember which one. They set up 12 stones, 12 stones in a certain pattern after crossing one of them. to So, so that if ever, you know, the, the descendants for hundreds of years are back around the Jordan River, the Red Sea, whichever one that was. It's a monument to remember what God did. So there is at least some example of maybe it's good or there's wisdom in setting up markers to know where you've been to to uh, to mark a time and a people's given history. Scripturally there is the idea of honoring your honoring your father and your mother. I don't think that applies to honor your ancestors. I don't I don't think that applies. I could be wrong. But at least there is some kind of wisdom to having monuments to your history to tell your story to remember from whence you come but then you have to have the questions of well who what's the morality about who we celebrate and who we don't and when we come back from this great this break i want to start wrestling through that and i want to wrestle through it as biblically as i can and think about columbus and think about the founders and the confederates and see if we can at least come up with some mature biblical thinking the best i can on this topic and then we will talk about defunding the police that movement and this weird thing happening in Washington We'll get started on all that when you come back for the rest of the Corey True Act show Welcome back to the Corey True Act show connect to it and me on Facebook Twitter or Instagram look for me Corey Trueaxe you will find me there because I'm the only one I have the advantage of having a unique name. Consider how hard it would be to do any kind of broadcasting if your name was like John Smith. There's a gajillion of you, right? So this is a good thing. It's a good thing to have a weird name in doing what I'm trying to do. So starting with this Clemson thing, where I land is there's at least some argument not for tearing up the history, removing the history. There's at least some argument of using our history to teach us lessons. For example, with that John C. Calhoun thing, I'm fine with removing the name. There was also the option, and I think I could have been okay with, adding to it. Not just having him honored in a way that doesn't look at, look at him critically. Put up, put up some kind of informational construction to say, Here, here's John C. Calhoun. We honor him for these things, but you need to know here's the terrible things that he thought and did. So I could be okay with that. All right, so... That starts leading broadly. Well, what's the limiting principle? If we're going to start tearing stuff down and we're going to start changing names, where do we draw the line? Where should we? And then we have in the news the actual defacing of of some of these statues and, uh, and monuments and just the conversation for some about bringing, the, bringing them down. You know, I said on the, on the scripture part, because I, I want to know what scripture says, not what I think. There was that idea of setting up monuments to your history. obviously has some wisdom. We can see that biblically. I do know this part of Scripture, too, though. For those who are just doing it, the the, the people, the, the random rioters who are going and tearing down statues, which is it's not happening a ton, but it's happened a few times during these last couple weeks. I know there's no place for that. That's called, that's called sin. Those people should be punished to the full extent of the law. You you don't out of your own anger and rage get to go destroy something that belongs to everyone else. You the the, the, the Christopher Columbus statue in uh, I can't remember what city it was it was destroyed in, but that was public property that belongs to all of us that belonged to a local government. You don't get to make decisions for everybody because you're having a temper tantrum. You're not allowed to do that. There are there are some monuments and statues that were given by private collectors and things, two cities. That was a gift to everybody. You don't get to destroy that because you're angry, even if you're justifiably angry. So there is one scriptural thing I do know. You don't get to destroy stuff that's not yours. There's one. So trying to keep all this, the scripture we can through this, here we go. I think it's important. Here's a principle that I think is important. We have to be allowed to examine people in their historical context. It's important that we don't use the values of 2020 to judge someone from 1900, 1800, or 1500. Don't think that's fair. It will also not be fair for people in 2020 to be judged by those 100 years from now. More information comes available, intellectual movements take place, things change. And that that does not change the nature of morality. Morality has been objective the entire time. Racism, slavery, bad the entire time. That there's a collective admission of that, a collective recognition of that, only in the last hundred years or less, that should be considered. Because we'll we'll take Columbus, for example. Let's take Christopher Columbus. Folks wanting to rename the day and uh, not have a Columbus Day and tear down the statues. He gets accused of some horrible deeds. Yes, there was definitely some murder. I wouldn't call it, I don't think I would call it genocide because words have definitions, although I'm finding more and more no one cares. They just say whatever they want and uh, whatever emotional stuff comes out of their mouth and we're supposed to interpret it properly. Uh, But the word genocide has a meaning and I wouldn't call what Columbus did genocide, but certainly murder. And there was some rape. There, There was misdeeds, no question. And again, I'm, I think it's a good idea to tell his whole story, to tell the entire story of Columbus. But he also gets, he, it's, it's like he gets singled out for the time period, both for the deeds and his attitudes on race. Do you know who was racist in 1492? Everyone. Compared to our standard now. Do you know what governments were Instruments of conquest, murder, and rape—at the time in 1492, all of them. Conquest is super normal in 1492. There, there is even argument biblically—not not for wanton murder or rape, but where a, a government has has the interest of its people. If war was the last—that's one of the things about just war. If for just war theory, it has to be the absolute last resort. There's even justification for war. But the, the world wasn't quite settled in 1492, where borders were formed and what countries were where. That was a very fluid situation throughout Europe and Northern Africa. Conquest, war, killing of the people who were not like you, and hatred of the people who were not like you, super normal, guys. Like, that's... To look at Columbus... As particularly evil for it, well, yeah, those are evil deeds. It's also what everyone was doing. This will blow some of your minds. I, I wish I wish every everybody could get get this in their head. If you lived in 1492, you'd be a racist. Me too. That that was the milieu of the moment. That was the culture of the of, of the time. It's not okay. It's immoral. It's horrendously immoral. But that was. That's, been the nature, that's human nature. Human nature at the time was even, more un, was even more unbridled in that way. There was less enlightenment at the time. You hate the tribe that's not like you. That was happening here on North America. They were all killing each other. They all hated each other. There was, this is normal human history. Does that make it okay? No. But you can't judge him by 2020 standards. It's not, it's not right in my estimation. And so, like, with Columbus, should we honor him? Well, I don't know. He did, arguably, a top three most important thing in human history. I would argue what Columbus did is more important than what Neil Armstrong did. Setting a man placing his foot on the moon is less significant than Western Europeans setting their foot in North America. Consider what he did. didn't really know what he was doing. And in some ways, honestly, but that nature or that that quality of exploration and adventure—that is—that is taming the earth, trying to keep it scriptural as we can. That is subduing the earth. God gave us the earth, and so go learn of it. Like you, oh, I, I hate to say it. This, this—I'm uh, uh, just going to say it. Who cares? You, you, you only know what the oceans are like, and where North America is, we only know what we know because Columbus drew the map. Is that not a significant enough thing in human history? You know this part of the world exists because Columbus did what he did. And now we sit comfortably 500 years later on a civilization partly built on his achievement with our cushy lives, and we want to look back on him and denigrate him. We can do both, guys. We can have the mental flexibility of saying, yeah, his thoughts on race and the way in which that he went about his conquest was both not weird at all for the time, very normal, and also morally reprehensible and wrong. And, see, we don't have to say but, we can just say and. And he did one of the most important things any human has ever done. And so, therefore, he should have honor for that. It is the... This connects in, in part, I'm going to talk about the founders here in a minute. This connects in part to something I said a few episodes ago, that we are in a cold civil war. So we're already at civil war. They're, ideologically, emotionally, they're, in a lot of ways, the American people are at war with each other. We just haven't started shooting at each other yet. And I talked about at the time, the, the way you heal that, the, one way to, to help that, is gather around some shared history that that we have some shared values that we do as much as we disagree there's some things we agree on but now we're we are at a point where the person who fundamentally came here first and found what, what this part of the world we have a moral disagreement about him and also this next topic the founders and so i don't know you're i don't know the principles you can surround on if you can't agree on your own history when one side wants to actually just erase the history or call it evil with no qualifier. Think about the founders for a minute. Basically, the entire planet was racist in 1776, guys. You know, we, it's, I love Hamilton the musical, and there's one of the sub-themes in there is that Hamilton was an abolitionist. For that matter, Benjamin Franklin was an abolitionist. There were, There were founders and there were people at the time who were abolitionists you know what the abolitionists also were? They were really bad racists. You know what Abraham Lincoln, the great emancipator, was? He's a racist. By your standard, by my standard today, we act like the folks who wanted to free the slaves were for equality. Wanting to free a human is a pretty low bar for morality. Freedom? To just work for yourself and make your own life? That's not a quality of the... Of the races? It's not equality among ethnic groups. And so we venerate a Hamilton and a Franklin because they wanted to end slavery. Yeah, that's about all they wanted to do. The opinion of Franklin and Hamilton about black people is not one you'd be comfortable with today. Because the entire world was racist then. And not even just racist. The bigotry was also national. The French hated the British. The British hated the French. They both hated the Italians. Italians hated a bunch of people. It was national and it was racial because that's human nature. And so then we look at a Washington and a Jefferson who both wanted to, both wrote about this, wanted to free their slaves. Virginia's legislature makes that illegal. And then they also wrote, not, not a ton, but wrote some about the morality of release. So I've, I've got people in my ownership, definitely, but also in my charge I I am responsible for their their, their well being. We because of our own policy, I got a group of human beings here, men, women, and children who can't read, who have who have a bunch of challenges. How moral is it of me to say, okay, you can go? What are they, oh, what are they supposed to do? What what, what can I do? There's even a, there's a morality to that, and they struggled with it horribly. And so to look at the the founders and denigrate them by our standards, that's not, it's not right, it's not okay, it's not a moral thing to do. So I, I, I would oppose outright, in, in totality, taking down the Washington Monument, the Jefferson Memorial, because there is at least a limiting principle. That's where I started. If we're going to take John C. Calhoun's name off of something, well, why would we not with, with Jefferson and Washington? Well, there's at least a little difference here in that Calhoun was aggressively for slavery and these folks owned slaves but had a, a philosophical position that was at least somewhat different oh well, not just somewhat was fundamentally different than john c calhoun's my overarching point here it's trying to put modern day standards on historical figures isn't fair and we actually do need this history that's the fabric that we actually had holding us together for a long time that we could look back, no matter your opinion on taxes or on states' rights, or you look uh, to some social issue or what the government should and should not do, whatever your policy position, you can still look back and go, Washington, Adams, Jefferson, like th- that holds us together, our shared history. There seems to be a group of people in the country, though, that do want to tear that down. They're, that's partly why we're in a cold civil war. The the fabric that held us together is fraying. The ground on which we were built is cracking, and it's not doing it under its own weight. There are people with scissors and other other, other methods of slicing that are slicing at the fabric. There are those with sledgehammers who are beating at the ground on which we stand. And we shouldn't. We shouldn't do that. There's, they deserve that that honor because we can't examine them in 2020 standards. So what's the limiting principle then? Take it a step further. There's Columbus, there's the founders. What about Confederate generals? This one I don't struggle as much with. I, I, ah, man, this is hard. I say I don't struggle with it. Saying it is hard. The decision's not hard. Ultimately, the Confederacy is a rebellion. There is the country that Washington, Jefferson, Hamilton, Madison, Franklin. There's that country they started. So 1776, declare independence. 1789, figure out the Constitution, get it get it ratified. So we go 1789, about, what's that, uh, 99, 09, 19, 29, 39, 49. So about 50-ish, 60, 60-ish years in, we st- are going to have the Civil War, 60-some-odd years into that. But it emanates from... Folks in the South, the Jefferson-Davises, that group, the Bedford forests, declaring independence from that group, that, that, that nation, that Washington and Jefferson and all those guys founded. And so ultimately it is a rebellion. It's a rebellion that popped up. And so it would be a little weird to have monuments to those that rebelled against the Union, against the United States, at the same time. They were writing at the time. Many of the Confederates, Confederates would write. We're just doing what Washington and Jefferson did. They were right to secede, as it were, from Britain. We're seceding from the federal government. The federal government was never supposed to be this powerful. We the states, and what everything about the state right now, the Confederates were right about. We the states created the federal government. It's not a power unto itself. It can only do what we the states let it do. This is why we weren't supposed to have political parties, why George Washington wrote against political parties in his farewell address. His idea was South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, like all these states, well, I guess there wasn't a Tennessee yet, but all those states, you pull against the federal government, not Republicans pulling against Democrats for the time, Federalists pulling against Democratic Republicans. Don't let the parties fight. The fight should be the states versus the federal government, that they pull on that power and checks and balances against each other that was supposed to be the tension of our government and and so the, the confederates had that part right that the federal government shouldn't be able to do a lot of the stuff it's doing and we're going to, we're out we're going to leave and if that would have been their only issue a they should have been allowed to leave and we wouldn't feel about them like they like we like we do they would have been rebels but they would have been rebels for a righteous cause and part of their cause was righteous. The issue is they wrote in their constitution that they wanted to keep slavery. It's one of my big pet peeves in history. When it's the, the Civil War wasn't fought over slavery. Uh, it was a little. It wasn't fought only over slavery. But you, you Confederates decided to put it in your constitution. So when you, you, you got away, you made sure to protect it in the law. So it was, it was part of the fight for you guys. And, and so we have this odd situation where we have rebels against the United States who are being honored in the United States. But the idea, some of the ideas that they rebelled for are core American ideals. We, we've lost it totally, but the ideal of the states being supreme over the federal government, that the states created it and therefore they control it, I can prove that to you with one of my favorite sermon illustrations. You, the um the justification your parents used for you sometimes when they were going to punish you, uh, you, you can finish. It was this? You can finish the sentence wherever you're listening out loud if you want. You might hear a parent say, "I brought you into this world so I can take you out. I, I created you, therefore I own you." That's actually what well, that's what God would say. I created you, therefore you are mine. You are my creation. Well, the federal government is the creation of the states; it belongs to us, the states. And if it gets out of hand, then we should be able to either leave that union or bring it back into bring it back into the bonds in which it was supposed to be. And so, like there, that that point was a good one that that i that idea of freedom for the states is that what we're we're getting when we put up a Confederate statue? Are we getting the slavery piece? Which one are we getting? And so, you have. I'm t- trying to think of the limiting principle. We, if we if we take down Confederate statues, it would make sense to me just because it was a rebellion. At the same time, it would make sense to me to go the Condoleezza Rice route. Condoleezza Rice has written about this, saying leave them all up, but use them informationally. Remember, she's an historian. She went to Auburn. Her her background is history. That's her academic discipline. The the former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice, and her idea is put informational placards, informational construction around all of those monuments so people get the full story. Because we don't want to forget our history. We actually do want to learn from it. That gets me to the Confederate flag, which I have to go quick. Um, NASCAR says they're not going to allow it being displayed. That's... I think it's a good move. It's also... It's also a private company so they can do what they want. It's, it's not a government saying you can have free speech. That was... I saw that a little bit. Like, what about my free speech? You don't have to go to an NASCAR race. Speak where you want. You don't, can't speak there. They're, they're running their own thing. They get to do that. You can go if you want and leave your flag in the car if you want. That the Confederate flag one is one. I, I, wish, I wish I could have a gentle conversation with those that love that flag and figure out why. Like, what is it? What, what does it say to you that you're so into it and you so love it? Okay, so here's my conclusion as as best we can even with some of the most objectionable people in history i'd like to keep the history i'd like to keep the monuments i'd like to keep the statues and where we need context for that person's character where we need context for the for the story of history let's do that let's we need more information not less don't take away the information by taking away the monument taking away the statue instead add to it By telling the full story. We can't start history right now. History doesn't start in 2020. We need to know from whence we came. There is a movement out there right now that seems to want to start a new world right now and forget one ever happened, but we cannot do that. The world has been spinning long before us. We should preserve the history, learn from it, and do better as we go forward. When we come back, there's a movement to defund the police. We'll talk about what that means when you return for the rest of The Cory Act Show. <laughs> Defund the police. That is the slogan that is being bandied about. Bandied about? That's it. Bandied about. Yeah, I'm professional. Super professional broadcaster. I know words and all that stuff. But they're saying... Defund the police. That's the movement out there, and I want to talk uh, with you about it. Welcome back to the Corey Act Show. Thank you for being with us on his radio talk or on the podcast, wherever you listen. I say it every week, but I do mean it. It is genuine. I am grateful. First, on the, the defund the police movement, it doesn't mean what it doesn't mean what it says, and that's a problem. I saw the i, I saw I saw people trying to defend it on Twitter and on TV. Defund the police. And the mo like the first thing they all have to say is, "Well, we don't mean defund the police." Then, why do you say it? Does Does anyone actually want to get what they want anymore? Like it's it seems like emotion is supposed to drive everything. Like I feel a thing, and so I should get what I want. Right. Well, calm down. One. And why don't you talk about it? Why don't you use your words? I talked about this last week or two weeks ago with how that Colin Kaepernick thing went wrong is symbols got misunderstood, and my solution was, well, why don't you use your words and stop using symbols? All right, so now we've got people using their words, and then when you actually decide uh, to, to say, hey, the words you're saying— They're dumb and don't make sense. You can't defund the police. Well, we don't actually mean defund the police. What we mean is reallocating resources to other parts of the governmental infrastructure. Then maybe you should say, we would like to reallocate resources or add new resources to other parts of the government social services infrastructure. That's an option. You could, instead of saying words you don't mean, say words you mean. It feels like no one actually again, no one actually wants the things they say they want. No one is willing to be strategic, no one else is, no one's willing to communicate. They just feel their emotions and then whatever comes out of their mouth, we're just supposed to deal with it and make it happen. Okay, so they don't they don't they don't actually mean to defund the police. I I will admit this of myself because I lean libertarian. When I heard it, I was very intrigued because Especially modern policing, it's fairly new how we do it. I've been a fan of the of the of the idea of the Wild West for a long time. I like I like that motif in American literature and movies, where there was a lawman, but and you dealt with bandits, but it wasn't an overwhelming force that we had. That wasn't a thing. So, and I like the idea of of, of neighborhoods and. And communities policing themselves. That's a little bit of what happened out West. When when someone would do the wrong thing and cheat someone else, you actually just brought people from the community. You settled the dispute nonviolently. Like, it was often nonviolently. So I was intrigued. Like, what do you mean to fund the police? Because it immediately brings up some questions. Like, well, what do you do with murders and rapes and robberies and... Destruction of property, like what? What does that world look like? I'd would, I would love to know, but I, I didn't hear it and immediately recoil. I immediately heard it and went, "Okay, tell me about it. How's that? How's that work?" So while my that was my instinct, I also want to make sure we go to Scripture and recognize biblically the biblical worldview on on police, at least as a concept, is that governments are given to is so what the Bible says to punish evil and to reward good they're there to do justice god is good to institute governments among men to bring order to society that governments are created by men and women to then bring order so that civilization has to be built on order and the natural state of things is entropy things break down naturally Therefore, you've got to build some kind of civil. Excuse me, build some kind of order so civil, civilization can be built on top of that order. So the what bi- the Bible would say here is not having any kind of law enforcement. That's not okay. It's not a biblical thing. But then we do get to imagine what law enforcement should look like. Well, you have to have it, but it, maybe it can be community policing. Maybe in some places at least it can be. And so I want to talk through some of the intrigue the. The positives, the negatives, the challenges, and the opportunities that come along with the idea of rethinking how we police. Not defunding the police. That's a dumb phrase people need to stop saying. But let me tell you what I think a lot of them are trying to get across. For example, I'm, I'm rephrasing things that I think they're trying to say, but they're doing a bad job of saying. Number one is that not every issue should be a cop issue we're actually asking officers to do more than we should be asking them to do. For example, officers will often be called, often enough, called to a home where we we don't have domestic abuse, but we have a domestic issue. Where there's an argument getting out of control enough between a married couple or an adult child or teenage child and a parent But nothing's gotten physical, but maybe something in the house got broken, someone got spooked, a neighbor heard something, called the cops, and we don't have an abuse situation, but we have an issue situation. If the government should get involved in that dispute at all, should it be a cop? Should it be someone there who's who's supposed to be law enforcement? In a a public dispute or a private dispute, one in a home, or even an argument on the street amongst strangers, is law enforcement the best mode for that? I think a lot of a best method of addressing it. I think a lot of cops would tell you, "No, I'm not a marriage counselor. I'm not a social worker. I'm not even a a conflict resolver. If if two people are having some kind of conflict inside their house or outside the house." They're not actually breaking any laws. I enforce laws. That's my job. So why would I go into that situation? That's actually a really good point. Domestic issues aren't always domestic abuse. And therefore, we're sending cops into situations where there seems to be their only goal, I understand this, is to just bring back order and stability. And then they, can, they do that in ways that's often confrontational. And it's going to, that this confrontations escalate cops being trained the way they are, they're going to continue to escalate it cuz they you you will respect their authority. That's how it happened on South Park back in the day. And so we send them into situations where they don't need to be. If we're going to have a police force, their job should be maybe their presence in some situations is crime preventative, but they're supposed to be responsive. Someone breaks the law, that law needs to be enforced. And therefore, you send in law enforcement. I think I saw a stat that it's, uh, uh, what was it, it was one-sixth, maybe? One-sixth of police shootings, whether the victim dies or not, one-sixth is, or, or maybe it was more. I think it was more. We find that the person who got shot had a really bad mental health issue. Like, we're not talking about crippling depression or anxiety, which are very serious. We're talking like a, a real bipolar type situation where the... They're out of control. They're not, they're not in their right mind. Is it a cop that needs to deal with that? Was it a cop who needed to be in that situation trying to talk with someone who's not in their right mind or would that have been better to have a mental health professional? And so we've asked cops to do things they're not trained to do. And, to, and those are good arguments. It's a good argument to say, well, maybe we should invest in those other social services so that we're not sending people with guns in there all the time. Maybe that's what we should do. Now, there are, there are also some bad arguments to the defund the police thing. I want to cover the bad arguments. the The arguments that taking police out of a community is going to make it safer, especially low income, which unfortunately in this country that's disproportionately minority neighborhoods. Taking them out will make it will will make that neighborhood more dangerous. Where that has happened, where we have moved moved police from certain parts of Detroit, Baltimore, Los Angeles. More people die, more people get hurt. They don't get hurt by the police. They just get hurt by people, the other people around them. You should know that it actually was a really racist policy in the 50s, 60s, and 70s in big cities that got so many minority people, particularly black people, killed by each other. It was white power structures that said, we're taking the police away from the inner cities. They're going to be more in the suburbs, be more in the exurbs. That It is this reason. You can trace this history. You can do it on YouTube for that matter. It's not hard to trace. Gangs and gang violence emanated from the vacuum of police because black people needed some way to defend themselves against each other often And so where there was the police weren't intervening, the police weren't coming to their aid, so gangs were started to protect their neighborhood, to protect their group of families. That's that is the emanation of gang violence, was they were trying to be police forces in their own neighborhoods because the police wouldn't do it. And and was that good or bad for black communities? That was very bad. Police presence does actually make low-income areas more safe. It's it's not going to lead to more safety. Overall, so conclusion for me on the defund the police movement: what a dumb way to say that, but there's a lot of good points there, and it's some it's it's worth switching our our resources around to better equip and create more positions for social workers and uh, mental health experts, and they need to be part of the response team. We talk about first responders. Right now, we think of first responders as firefighters, uh, what do we call uh, officers, law enforcement. Uh, the one I'm trying to think of, the EMTs, emergency medical technicians, paramedics. Those are our first responders. Maybe what we need to imagine is putting the resources into a situation where y- we start thinking of first first responders to include social workers and mental health professionals, and you send those folks out into those situations as well. That's my conclusion on the defund the police folks. A minute ago, I mentioned that people are safer when there's a police presence in most situations. Let me give you an example of of that to prove it all together. I love this story. I can't tell you how much I love this story. In Seattle, a certain part of Seattle downtown called Capitol Hill, a lot of big cities have an, an area called Capitol Hill. It's about apparently five or six blocks have been cordoned off, blocked off by, I guess, some Antifa people and Black Lives Matter people. And when you cross into this area of Capitol Hill, you have signs that say, now leaving the United States of America. And they have declared that they are the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. That's a terrible name for a country. In, a, um, in an acronym, Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone spells CHAZ, Sounds like a member of a 1990s boy band. So they live in Chaz. And that's basically the the long and short of it. The mayor of Seattle just let them do it. And they're saying they're their own own government. They're going to govern themselves. Apparently, they did just secede from the union. They did what the South did. They just done it successfully. And the mayor of Seattle's letting it happen. Now, I... I... I tried again to go directly, like what, what does scripture say about this? And, and had trouble about this, about this idea. But I will tell you some thoughts that are informed, I think, by a general biblical worldview. The way they're doing this, not not what they're doing, but the way they're doing this, like they've they've just decided we're just taking it. We're, we're going to go in. These blocks are ours, they belong to us, the businesses in here. Are going to now pay taxes to us? They are literally extorting people the, and the businesses that live there. I, I find it very funny that they started building some walls. <laughs> Listen, I'm not a big fan of the wall situation, like southern borders, the wall. You know, but it is funny that these people would probably be the most anti-Trump people. Like they're they're probably as anti-Trump as as I am in, in a different way. And the first thing they wanted to do, like we we have our own country. What should we do? Let's build a wall. <laughs> So what the way they're doing it, they can't do it. It's unlawful. I will admit this. Maybe they're on to something. What if this very poorly executed secession and trying to create their own area, their own autonomous zone, their own nation, as it were, in a few blocks of Seattle, as absurd and as poorly executed as this idea is right now, What if they're on to something? I've been saying for quite a while, we are in a cold civil war. The country's at war with itself. We just haven't started shooting yet. A lot of times in war, you have to go your separate ways. In civil wars, you have to often go your separate ways. We're such a divided people now. We're so different. Maybe we have frayed beyond fixing and unification. Maybe not. Maybe there's, maybe there's a way back. But we've run into this issue as humans that we've run out of physical space. That if you if you hate where you are, there's nowhere to go to and start your own nation. Um, radio listeners, I'm gonna do some bonus. Stuff for the podcasters right here, because I'm not finished talking about this. Plus, I have a COVID-19 thought I want to give. Uh, So podcasters, stick around. We're going to do a little bit more here on the bonus for you guys. For those listening on radio, you can find the podcast wherever you find podcasts. I hope that you will. You can also find it at CoreyTruax.com. I'll be back with another new edition next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love. Hi, podcasters. I went three seconds too long there for the radio version, so... Oops, I hope they can figure out a way to cut three seconds off of something to make that fit in the one hour that we have there. So about this Chaz thing, the, uh, the what the, the was Capitol Hill? Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. I I really, uh, talk about int- intrigue. You know, I told you I was intrigued when I heard people say, defund the police. What would that look like? Well, what would it look like if secession wasn't such a crazy idea? I mean, That's our our challenge here in the U.S. and the whole world is there's nowhere else to run to. Ronald Reagan has that very famous quote, and it's supposed to be inspirational. It's also factual. He said, if freedom fails here, it's the last stand on earth because we are the freest place and we're not even all that free, but there's nowhere else to run. Like You you could just keep pushing west, Uh, coming out of, let's go Italy, in the European world, France, Britain, you could continue to leave. Try to get out from under British rule. Go off to the Caribbean islands when we discovered those. Keep pushing north up into Greenland and Iceland. When we found the new world, come over here. And if you don't like the governance of the the new world over here, keep pushing on west through Nebraska and uh, uh, Kansas. Yeah, Kansas. Nebraska and Kansas, over through Texas and Oklahoma, through the Dakotas, push all the way to the west coast. Just keep looking for a place to be free. Well, we've mapped the world now, guys. There's nowhere else to go. But I then I think about the all the wilderness that we have. The un unimaginable thousands of square miles. I don't know what, not maybe not thousands, but the many square miles in the Dakotas, in Montana, in Wyoming that are largely untouched. Like. Wh- what? Uh, that sounds weird. What if? What if these weirdos in Seattle? What if they're on to a solution? Maybe we don't need to split into two countries. Maybe we should split into six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Do we have a loose confederation? And we ha- we had before the the Constitution. The Constitution started getting written in 1787. It was ratified in 1789. Before that we had the articles of articles of confederation or articles of federation i think confederation but this we we weren't really a country we were a loose alliance of countries and maybe that served its maybe that served its purpose for a while it failed and then we did this we did this thing where we were going to join the colonies together the states together into one government but the states are still going to have a lot of power that power has eroded to basically nothing by now The federal government is everything. The Congress has almost no power. The president's super powerful and the the courts are super powerful. We had this awesome government. It worked great for a long time. And then as it has disintegrated and it's not doing what it was designed to do, I I think I'm there. I I wish a, a politician, like an actual thought leader or a politician would bring this up in a way that is thoughtful and that we could actually talk about it not just as an academic exercise like what if we did let people who wanted to do it try to form a new country and we and we have a we have a negotiation about where there's again there's a lot of space i don't need i get big thinking here start thinking about canada and what we could purchase they got a lot of space I, mean, I I don't know, guys. I just know we seem irreconcilable. And I, I I thought, I mean, I think I've said the last episode, we could rally around our history and the ideas that brought us here. Like, that's these are supposed to be ideas that we all loved. Left, right, center, everybody. We love freedom. But I don't know that that's true anymore. I think that was true for a couple hundred years. But that's... There is an ideology now that says, no, I don't love freedom. If you don't think what I think, I want to destroy you. I want to ruin your life if you don't think what I think. You will behave like I want you to behave. There's an ethic now of force, and people seem to be comfortable with forcing people to do things. And I don't know. I mean, I thought I said we could rally around our history, and now that's actually what we're doing is saying, no, destroy the history. It's actually quite Orwellian. It's just this idea of, no, we're starting history today. Nothing happened before today. Who we, who we are today, we have reached the pinnacle. We, we are the supermen. Remember, that's that's the kind of madness that drives North Korea. When the Il dynasty, Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-il, I guess that's the Un or the Il, I don't know. Uh, the Jongs, you know them. They have a different calendar. They run on a different calendar than the rest of the world. Because history began for them at the birth of the first person in that dynasty. Like they, they just made up a new world. The, you know the maps in North Korea don't look like our maps? They, they've mapped the world differently. In light to, to their people about it. They've just created a whole new world. And that's how it does feel like a little bit here. Like we're, we're not even dealing with fundamentally the same truths anymore. I mean we, we really, we're at this level. We actually do disagree on what a woman is and a man is. There's some chunk of us, some chunk. And I would argue that it's my ideology that deserves to keep the country. And it's this new left-wing mob that we should give the opportunity to. If you want to start your own, here's some space. We'll give you some seed money. Bernie Sanders can be your president, and go do it. But and then maybe some of us like me, what, we we want to try that. Is there is there some open space in Texas? Can we start our own thing? I, I don't know. Just I don't think we're ever coming back together. This cold civil war maybe it never gets hot, but it does continue at pace and that that thing that happening in. In Seattle, it's absurd. Government does need to, I guess, bring order to that because they took over a place that was already occupied, people's businesses and homes there. Like, you can't you can't let the kind of chaos reign. But the idea of an orderly discussion and negotiation for different types of secession, I don't think it should be as absurd as it sounds. Final thought. Um, I'm pretty... I've, I've been in concept fairly pro-mask wearing, but I... I want to make that argument to all of you because I I don't know about my audience, but I I suspect it's not a big mask-wearing group out in public. A lot of us, including me, we made the very loud argument about COVID-19 precautions that we were being so cautious we weren't thinking about the other other consequences, especially the economic consequences. I, I was quite upset that ultimately we... We crashed our economy and ruined people's lives over COVID precautions. All right, well, I think a consistency here now as COVID starts to, as we reopen, very expected things are happening. I'm not surprised at all the numbers going up. Always expected that. Of course they were as you reopen. But if we don't get a hold on how fast this is happening, we're going to crash the economy, guys. That staying closed down crashed the economy And if we open irresponsibly, you're going to crash the economy again and hurt people that way. And we have enough scientific evidence to show if you will wear a mask and stay away from people, you can mitigate the spread. So I would encourage that. I'm doing that in public now. I was doing it intermittently previously. I'm doing it more consistently. So that's that's my final thought. That's my one COVID thought. Thank you for listening to the show. I am grateful that you do. For those of you that share it when, like, I, I think it, it, sharing it all the time would be weird. And so I'm, I'm glad some of you that know me personally don't, don't do that. That'd be that'd be odd. But uh, when you share the show, it makes, makes me happy. Thanks for doing that. I'll be back with another new, another new edition of the show next week. Until then, podcasters, peace and love.